Welcome to the Mustang Owners Podcast. And now your host, Steve Hall. Today we have two guests on the podcast, both are longtime Mustang Club of America members and well-connected into the Mustang hobby itself. They actually are members number 007 and number, member number 125. Bill Dillard, besides being 007, was the MCA president along with the executive director for the Mustang 30th and 35th anniversary events in Charlotte. Bill Harris is member number 125. And, along, and the owner with Kathy, his wife Kathy, of Harris Mustang, and have been in business for over 45 years, specializing in Mustang parts from 1964 and a half through 1965. I would like to welcome both of you to the podcast, and I'd like to quit talking. <laughs> look forward to hearing them talk about the early days of the Mustang Club of America. So if you would, tell us about the very first meeting of the MCA, which was held at Stone Mountain, pa Stone Mountain Park in 1976. Well, that meeting was in April of 1976. Um, I was just starting my corporate career, and it was kind of a, a unique thing. The Mustang hobby was there, and I think Bill will uh, agree to that. It was just there was nothing cohesive to get it all put together. The The mood was there for the people, and the product was there, product being Mustang, and there was a lot of enthusiasm for it. And out of that first meeting of 10 people, we've got uh, what we've got today, which is a great old big movement, a big industry, to be quite honest with you. We knew that 10 people wouldn't do it. However, you have to start somewhere with any organization or business. And the 10 people signed up, we each chipped $10, $10. That was $100. And we thought, you know, that'd be a good start to get things going. One man uh, by the name of Stan Jones had run an ad in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, what we call the AJC, and I saw it and called him one Sunday. Subsequently, went to the meeting. He was a real nice guy. When we got together, there was a common thread of uh, everybody's love for the Mustang, which some people couldn't believe. I mean, the car at that point in time was only technically, what, 11 years old, but had a heck of a following. A lot of people did not like the, the Mustang twos that were on the market then, but uh, they liked the early cars, so that's how it all got started. So when did Mustang Club of America then start thinking about doing car shows, start doing things of the nature of what, you know, what people think? When you, well, let me, let me back up a second. Mustang Club of America is probably most known for its car shows, national car shows and judging of the car shows, the cars themselves. And I was kind of curious, and so when did that start to transpire? Obviously, from the first meeting, you, you, get ten, you have 10 people. It kind of starts from a grassroots start. And then when did MCA have its very first national event itself? Uh, just a few months later, to be quite honest with you. I forgot exactly. It was August or September. It was at Stone Mountain Park. Did some marketing. Uh, of course, it grew a lot of people from the Atlanta and North Georgia area. That first show had, best I remember, 100, 100, 125 cars, which we thought was phenomenal. And that's just pure Mustangs, of course. Was it actually a judge show, or how did they, obviously being kind of the, 
a new new entity and obviously when you have a car show you've you've got to have guidelines and rules and such so how did those come about or was it just something that kind of as it worked itself through after a period of time with more and more car shows that they started thinking about well we have to do you know when we do judging we've got to create rules we've got to have guidelines how did that kind of how how long before that transpired or how how soon did that come into play it wasn't very long, to be quite honest with you. Uh, the judging at the first show, uh, best I remember, was rudimentary at best, just judging on cleanliness, not paying attention to originality. There was a lot of original low-mile cars there of uh, three or four generations. But uh, after that, they said, ooh, we got to get tired of this judging. And people started paying attention Two or three people started paying attention to the original unrestored cars. Back then, you could buy a 66 Hypo Coupe that was real low-mile, nice car and never been messed with. And that was kind of the gold standard that the rules were developed from. Okay. Well, over the years, then, I mean, obviously, after that, from the car show itself, did the, how did how did membership grow? Was it how did they start to attract more members? Were how did how did they did they advertise? Uh, was it word of mouth, or what was kind of the process to try to draw more people to the club, and then of course create bigger events? It, it was it was both. It was word of mouth and advertising. Uh, we ran some ads in Hemings Motor News, believe it or not. And that started attracting people from outside of our little area uh, here in metro Atlanta and North Georgia and bringing in uh, groups from, uh, from Tennessee, from Kingsport, groups from Pennsylvania to form uh, regional groups. Well, I'm going to bring Bill Harris into the conversation a little bit because I'd like to learn a little bit about when did Bill start to become um, aware of and be, you know, become part of the MCA. And did he go to car shows to have cars judged? Was he a judge? What kind of things did uh, Bill do when he became a member of the MCA? Well, I don't remember for sure whether it was a magazine or a newspaper. I saw an ad for Mustang Club of America, and I thought, wow, that sounds interesting because I was always interested in Mustangs. So I sent my $10 or whatever it was in, and I remember I got a letter inviting me to the show in Stone Mountain, which I did attend. And at the time, I had started collecting Mustang parts. So I took some parts there to sell, did real well, and said, wow, you know, I believe somebody could do this for a living. And I've been doing it for 44 years now. So I had no idea that actually that was the very first time you started selling parts. It was actually at an MCA, how the two went together like that. That's actually cool to know. Uh, well, obviously an opportunity presents itself. You take advantage of it. And obviously, after doing it for forty-five years, I guess I guess you got it work. I guess it worked out for you. Yeah, it's worked out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, I know, Bill. I know Bill Dillard has gone to more or less open track racing these days, and I know Bill Harris has still got a beautiful collection himself of his vintage Mustangs. But initially, of course, I think if correct me if I'm wrong, Bill Dillard, correct me if I'm wrong. But Mustang Club America initially it was just for first generation Mustangs. Yes, it was. Uh, yes. 65 to 73s. And, and I remember when they went and started adding Mustang 2s, a lot of people were upset. Well, if they were upset at Mustang 2s, how'd they feel about the Fox bodies? 
Well, I think they got over it by then. <laughs> okay. And they realized they had to move along. The Fox bodies kind of flirted along, best I remember, and drug in the uh, the Mustang twos because in 82. But it was realized that we had a closed set of potential members. If we allowed the late model cars in and started setting up rules for them, let them be judged, the club would grow. It was one of the best things that could have ever been done for the for MCA. There's quite a lot of dissension. Even in the uh, board of directors of MCA, when that move, move was made to allow the late models, but it worked out. Well, obviously it has. I think it's important that MCA is also known for basically allowing all Mustangs to be part of the club, and I think that's important. Um, I know that when you look at some of the other car brands that are out there that have a lot of car clubs, you can find that even some of their groups have fighting within them themselves because they don't want certain generations to be part of their group. And this goes on today um, over on the bow tie side. I guess I'm just going to leave it at that. But uh, I do know that there are clubs that they may not like a certain generation of their own car brand, but they just refuse to accept them in their club. So I, I, it's hard it's hard for me to understand that, but that just seems to be the nature of some of the some of the clubs and their attitude and such. So, but uh, when did they start bringing in Mustang regional clubs? MCA started having regional clubs. How did that come about? That uh, that come about at request from people in different locations. I briefly touched on uh, Tennessee. Our first one of our first regional groups was uh, the first Tennessee regional group in Kingsport, Tennessee. Then we had the Valley Forge uh, Club up in Valley Forge, uh, Pennsylvania, and it just kind of really that was in in seventy seven, seventy eight range, seventy seven I believe, because in seventy eight we had a uh, a large national show up in Kingsport, Tennessee, that it turned out to be quite effective and a quite a good event. This all seemed to come about rather quickly then. Obviously, if you're meeting in 1976, and in a year or two later, you've got clubs, you've got national events going on. Um, obviously, this is uh, it's certainly, you know, it's, it's, it's growing and uh, because of the interest level, as you say. So back in those days, though, do you remember? Uh, and again, I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm going to just ask a number. I don't think it's really anything we can use to compare. But after the first year or second year, do you remember how many members the the uh, MCA actually had? I don't. I don't know if Bill does or not. But no. uh, it, it, you know, it was growing is growing so fast it was hard to keep up with. If that makes sense. Sure. I imagine some cases you're almost trying to create the administrative. Uh, guidelines as you're chasing the members and the events are coming you're kind of finding the problems and having to answer those problems as they come about versus trying to be ahead of that curve so that's well that just that just again goes to the the interest level of the Mustang Club of America because I know at this point they've had they have had in the course of their history which is 45 years somewhere well over just over 100,000 members at one time I mean not, not all together but I'm just talking they've had 100, over 100,000 different members um, and I'm sure that number keeps growing. Uh, as more Mustangs come out, more people get interested in Mustangs, uh, you know, the club keeps growing. But th that's going to lead me to what are some of the biggest differences that you've seen over the years from the early days to now? Because uh, I know you, you, well, you guys occasionally do go to some of the MCA national events. And we just had the anniversary of the Mustang Club of America 45th earlier this year. Uh, what kind of things have you noticed that may be different or 
you know, something that's kind of something that you were surprised to see or happy to see or, you know, happy to see Mustang Club of America going towards or just what's the differences have you noticed? Well, uh, from my perspective, that's kind of hard. Uh, I'm thrilled to see, number one, it keeps going. Uh, I'm thrilled to see the corporate support that MCA is getting. That's something we lacked for so long. Uh, the corporate support enables us to hire people to help manage the club, hire people to uh, run the day-to-day business of the club. What most people don't realize, those first several years, and I'm talking uh, the first eight, nine, ten years, the only person that really got paid was the editor of the Mustang Times and not paid much at all at, at that point. And it was all a volunteer effort. And as work with volunteers goes, it can be a strain sometimes to get things done. So that's what makes me glad to see that they've been able to do and keep going. Well, one thing, of course, when the club started, Georgia, Tennessee, that was the hotbed. And the shows in Atlanta and Kingsport were big shows. But then... Of course, the club needed to grow, and it got more of a national club. And now it's definitely an international club. Well, it also then kind of leads me to, did the anniversary events also create more of an opportunity for MCA to reach out to more potential members or more to more enthusiasts? And, I mean, there, there was a 20th anniversary event in Detroit. If I correct me if I'm wrong, Bill, uh, Bill or Bill, but uh, I think most of that was just done by Ford at, at Dearborn for the 20th. And I know there's something that happened for the 25th. I'm not really clear on what it was, but obviously something on a lower key. But uh, for the 30th, the Mustang, it looks like Mustang Club of America is the one that really stepped up for the 30th and uh, did a major event at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And I understand the... Uh, well, I say, Mr. Dillard, you were in charge. So, can you tell us a little bit about how that came about to decide to do an to do an anniversary at the track? And um, obviously, you know, well, when you do a an event at the track, there's a lot of work, a lot of a lot of expense. Uh, so, I was just kind of curious how MCA uh, adapted to doing something like that. We saw what Ford did for the twentieth. Ford also did some events, Steve. Uh, they did one at Atlanta Motor Speedway for a 20th anniversary celebration. Uh, they had some SVOs down there and some GTs. And you could take hot laps around uh, the track with none other than Bill Elliott uh, in an SVO. Uh, it was mainly for the press, not much for the enthusiasts. I think there were like 10 or 15 of us enthusiasts down there for that event. The 25th come and went and nothing from Ford. A little, a little emblem on a car saying this is the 25th anniversary Mustang. And the late Jim Osborne and I sat down one night after a meeting and knew there was something better out there. So uh, Jim did the young ones' work, the most of the work. We went up and talked to Bruton and Humpy there at Charlotte Motor Speedway and convinced them that we could have an event there that would make them money. We didn't focus on what it was going to make us because we knew they wouldn't play ball with us. And we got the speedway tied up, and one thing kept going for another. I was doing, we were, had a lot of shows going on, 
and I had become friends with Steve Selene, and Steve needed a little help, uh, and I helped him what I could. And then, of course, turn about fair play, he got me inside Ford Motor Company. I'm not talking about at the door. I'm talking about deep inside. So Jim and I and Ricky Simmons was with us. We flew to Detroit and spent a week. Mike Moran with Hulk Fair set us up meetings with all these people. And we convinced Ford that we really were going to have this event. Ford come on in a big way and helped us. We had some other smaller sponsors. It just grew and grew and grew. And then, of course, when President Clinton decided to come at the last minute, it just added a favor to the event for the people that were already there. And with the president coming, we got a lot of national news coverage. Well, that helped spread the word. I mean, that's free marketing. So, you know, it grew from there. Do you remember on the 30th how many cars actually did register for the event or, or how many, or any kind of, I don't know if you did it by cars or by attendance, uh, or as they say, the, the heads of people, but do you have do you remember what kind of numbers that uh, that that were part of the event on the thirtieth? I believe that we had about five thousand cars registered to come to the event. Uh, of that, we had probably three or four hundred that went into the uh, judged class for the for our judging as it was at the time, which was quite good and quite tough. People, I have no idea. Charlotte Motor Speedway, and Bill, you were there, I know. Yes. Uh, but it was packed, wasn't it? It was packed. I mean packed. I mean shoulder to shoulder. The whole thing. Well, then let me, let's jump ahead five more years, because then, of course, the, the 30th, the 35th comes about. And, again, you were involved. Unfortunately, as you mentioned about Mr. Osborne, uh, was going to, as I, if I understand correctly, was going to be the director, but he unfortunately had, uh, he passed away. And, yes, uh, he did. You, um, you kind of helped step in and, you know, carry the torch at that point. Um, how did, the, how was the, was the 35th received as well as the 30th? Um, was it pretty much, it kind of cemented the idea that now every five years MCA would do a national, and excuse me, every five years Mustang Club of America would do a anniversary event. Did that kind of set the tone for that to happen? Yes, it did. Uh, the 35th was actually, to me, easier because we already had a mold to work from. It made getting sponsorship easier. We could call XYZ Corporation and say, hey, do you want to sponsor the 35th anniversary show with Mustang? They go, who's doing it? We say, well, MCA. And say, Charlotte, how much do you want? That was the only question I asked. So, you know, Ford stepped in again was a big help. It was a little easier. That says, don't be mistaken, it is a ton of work to have those two shows up. You just about give up two years of your life before the show. Well, I have, I have told that to a few people myself, to be honest with you. And I know Jim Chisholm says the same thing because he, of course, was the director for the 40th, is that um, you literally have to put things on hold because it becomes all-consuming because there's just so much going on that it's not a, it's not a typical car show. It's a car event, and there certainly is a difference between the two. And so um, I was just kind of, you know, knowing, I, I guess I want to say that I look at the 30th as always the, the front runner of what the anniversary events have become. And uh, it's kind of created, it's, 
in a way, and I mean this, and I mean this in a good way, but it's kind of created this whole monster. Is that every five years, I think the hobby now expects to see an anniversary event. Uh, they kind of like to see, you know, how is there a way to make it bigger, better, stronger, whatever it may be. Um, and I certainly want to, I left off the word faster because now I think at the 45th, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was the 45th, the first time they also opened, they added open track, the track experience, uh, for, for guests at an anniversary event. Is that, is that, am I correct with that thought? We had one at the 30th. Oh. However, nobody knew how to run it. So we contracted with Charlotte Motor Speedway to do the event. Let them keep the entry fees, and that that was the first one. For the 35th, we, we being MCA, did it uh, with the help of the Carolina Regional Group there at Charlotte, did the open track event. So it's come, it's become an integral part uh, of the big events in a lot of regular Mustang shows. Well, let me just ask this because I'm curious because when you, you mentioned about doing another 30th and the 35th, at Charlotte, am I to assume then that it was it was mainly just done on the oval then? No, uh, it was not. Charlotte has always had, uh, to my knowledge, a road course, a rudimentary road course right. uh, in the in the oval. Is that is that correct, Bill? Yes. Okay. And so, it's not just the oval. Now there were a few exhibition runs on just the oval, but the open track experience is uh, is road course based. Okay. Now, I, I was curious. I guess my curiosity was because when we did the 50th, of course, we, yes, we did have uh, the inside track portion. I just didn't know if that had existed back in the 30th and the 35th. And then we had so much safety barriers and, and, and dividers out there that uh, Ford actually asked us, you know, can we, because they wanted more space for parking and they want to have more space for their exhibit. And they were kind of asking us, you know, can we, can we get more space? You know, can we do less less open track and more space for that? And uh, that didn't happen, of course, because we had a lot of people who were very excited about being on the track for the 50th. But I was just I didn't realize that it went back to the 30th and the 35th also. And I know at the 40th they didn't have it because the track itself was basically over overrun with cars and exhibitors and and you know, show cars and such. So I, I was just kind of. Kind of an interesting kind of a piece to it uh, that I didn't realize. So, well, let me ask this then, since we were talking a little bit about um, the clubs and and uh, about the events and such, and of course, um, things have grown considerably over the years. And I'm sure, you know, Bill, what's what's your opinion where MCA is headed, where MCA is going? What are some of your thoughts, if you would just kind of you know, think about, because you, 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 you and Bill and Bill have been there a long time, seen it all. Just kind of, what's your thoughts? Well, it seems like it's growing all the time. And, of course, it's different people. Most of us older people have dropped out. Of course, Bill and me are still in the club. But, of course, they're getting new people all the time. They're moving towards newer cars all the time. And... It's great. I mean, it'll just keep going as long as they build Mustangs. Well, it's funny you say that because that's actually where my next question is going. <laughs> so, and you guys may not like this question, and well, we'll, we'll edit it out if you don't. <laughs> but what do you think is going to happen when they start building electric Mustangs? Not Mach-E's, but real-looking Mustangs. Well, I guess they'll be Mustangs. 
Do you think MCA will accept them? I look their Mustangs. Why not? I have to second Bill's uh, opinion there. If they're Mustangs, MCA is going to have to accept them. Oh, I I agree with you. I just you know you guys have been there the longest and know the mindset of the enthusiasts and the mindset because uh, I mean you, you guys all know Steve Pruitt and Jeff Mays and those guys who are now make up uh, the big portion of the, of the executive board I was just kind of curious what the thought is because you know when the Mach-E came out you know oh my goodness that was just you know even here at the museum we were told you better not ever put one of those Mach-E's on display in here because that's I'm just never going to come to your museum if you do uh, just kind of curious you know um, I'm hoping that we all realize, like you said, these are Mustangs, so such as it is. So hopefully they'll, I mean, so you think they'll accept them? I think so. You know, change is always difficult. It doesn't matter what kind of organization or company you've got. Change is, I hate to say this, a necessary thing, but that doesn't make it any easier. <laughs> no, and especially, you know, for, well, like, you know, people who are kind of used to certain things. And, well, you've grown, you've, we've all grown up with Mustangs all being with combustible engines, and that's just the way it is, and that's the way it always should be, but things are going to change, and you, you can never say never that things will never change. They do change. And so MCA, I think, to continue to grow, was going to have to, would have to adapt to that. Um, as they say, they may be taken into that um, into the future uh, yelling, kicking, and screaming, but what, what, what choice do you have? Exactly. You don't have any choice. You... Uh... You either grow or you die, and that's with anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let me ask one last thing then, and I guess this is something for the people who are listening to this podcast who may not be Mustang Club of America. Um, obviously, the two of you have been there the longest. Uh, there must be some things there that uh, really appeal to the two of you. So I'm hoping you just spend the last few minutes here just talking about what does the Mustang Club of America offer the Mustang enthusiast? What should they look at the MCA to give them? Because uh, sometimes I've had people tell me, well, I just don't do car shows. I don't want to go do car shows. And I, I don't need my car judged. You know, I'm, That's not what I want to do. But what does MCA offer the general enthusiast uh, beyond just the national car shows and open track events and things? What? Uh, how would you answer that? Well, I don't take a car to the car shows. But I like to go to the car shows to meet people. And I have a lot of friends all over the country because we have a mutual interest in Mustangs. Mr. Dillard? You know, I've got to echo that, and I'm going to carry it a little further. My kids have grown up. Shoot, I grew up around people at MCA. We've watched friends get made. Uh, like Bill said, we have friends all over the country. My my son married a young lady from Charlotte that was her family was a member of the Carolina Regional Group. I mean, people just connect, and it's good to connect with people that uh, have the same outlook or you do or the same same likes that you do. And I think that's one of the things a lot of people miss with MCA. They go, like you said, man, I don't want to go to a car show. It's more than just a car show. It's a chance to look at the cars. If you need parts, it's a chance to buy parts. They usually have very good swap meets, a lot of vendors there. So it's more than just a car show. And I agree, car shows can be boring to me sometimes. That's why I kind of work on the direction I'm working in now and playing with. So 
Well, I would have to echo those thoughts because I also think that it, it makes that person part of a Mustang community and allows them then to reach out to get advice, uh, direction, um, things that they may be working on or thinking about. Uh, because I, I know I hear quite often that uh, the, one of the nicest things about Mustang Club of America is that the members themselves want to help out. They want to reach out if you have a question or if you're trying to find parts or you're trying to restore your Mustang too. Where do you find parts at? You know, how do you do this? How do you do that? And so you're not by your, you're not by being a member of the MCA, you're not on your own little island out there and kind of having to find all this information on your own. Um, it's important that you know that there is a large community out there that is going to you know, welcome and help you where they can. And I think that's the biggest thing that MCA offers. It's just the, the power of the MCA is that uh, it has those kind of, it's got that experience. It has that knowledge and knows, knows, it knows how to find those answers for you. And so um, I think that's where the future of the MCA, because I know they always talk about trying to find younger and younger and younger people. And, you know, yeah, it's great if you can find the 18 to 22-year-olds to join the MCA, but there are still a lot of guys who are in their 30s and early 40s who are buying Mustangs and they're joining them or whether they're, you know, going through a rest of mod with them. But uh, so there's still a lot of young people out there, and I say young because, you know, for me, 30 and 40 is young. Uh, they, uh, you know, they're, they're still coming to the hobby. I mean, we just got done with Foxtoberfest, and I have to tell you that probably the average age out there was probably 38 to 40, to be honest with you. And we had seven, they had over 700 you know, Fox bodies there. So I think the future still lends itself to be a community. And as long as that community holds together, that they're there for each other, that's going to keep MCA relevant. Uh, car shows are great. It's a great way to, you know, to honor your car. It's a great way to honor your work. But at the same time, I think it's important to realize that it's more MCA is more than that, so I agree with both of uh, both of your thoughts. So, with that thought, I'm gonna I'm gonna say if you have any last moment thoughts or anything that uh, you'd like to to share, Mr. Harris, if you wish, go first. <laughs> well, I think we've pretty well said it all. <laughs> I, I agree with you. We we've covered it pretty good on there, and uh, Steve, I'm glad you did bring up the the sharing of information and helping people. That's Another item that makes MCA what it is, helping people, whether they want to do open track, you teach them how to do that, or teach them how to restore their car. Well, like I said, it is a community, and it's a quick way to become a part of a community is to become a member and get on the forum and ask your questions, and you'll get answers. Uh, so it's 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 a huge plus in today's world, especially with all the cars that are out there and people getting excited about restoring or creating that rustle mod. So. But with that, I want to thank Mr. Harris and Mr. Dillard for joining us. Uh, I know we took Mr. Dillard out of the cow pastures tonight. <laughs> it was dark. It was about time to come in. Oh, okay. <laughs> you still name all your cows. Well, most of them. Okay. But I kind of ear tag a lot of them have numbers on them, so I just call them 32 or 55 oh. or whatever. That's, oh. that's a name. Well, I remember, yeah. I remember at a racetrack, you were telling me you named your cows because they appreciate that and they liked you. They responded better to you than the chickens would. So I was got a <laughs> kick out of that. <laughs> so anyways, but anyway, gentlemen, thank you both for joining us. It's been a pleasure having you, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk again. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Steve. Take care. Good night.